0: Hey everyone, this is Chad Arms, pastor of Creekside Bible Church. Thanks for taking some time to listen to my latest sermon, a sermon about joy. It will play in just a minute, but before it does, I want to invite you to do one thing and ask you to do another. I want to invite you to download a free resource that we are giving away with this series. For this series of sermons on joy, we produced a companion devotional booklet it's over 50 pages long. It has devotional entries for each day that I'm not preaching and really do think it is something that would be valuable to your spiritual life and you can get it for absolutely free. All you have to do is go to wilsonville.church/joy. That's wilsonville.church/joy and click on the download booklet button. I also want to ask you to leave a rating or review if you find this sermon particularly helpful to you. When you leave a rating or review on your podcast host, it helps our sermons be heard by more people, and we think that that is super important. So please do that if you feel led to do so. Again, thanks for taking some time to listen to my latest sermon. I really do hope that it will help you to learn and live more fully for the glory of God. So, first game of the blazer playoff season is like a holiday in my family go blazers um i mean i wake up and it doesn't last through the whole playoffs or i would die probably because of the intensity in my heart and it's just it's really not a healthy season for me if they ever win the championship i probably won't live through the entire month to see it it will just be over um but I woke up yesterday just so excited, like I, like I don't want to talk to my kids or my wife, like is it 7.30 yet? That's kind of how I feel. And, uh, and, then, and then the game started and it was awful. I don't know if you watched it last night, but it really was, it was atrocious. Like I haven't seen them shoot that badly in a long time. It it appeared that we couldn't stop them, even though we did a pretty good job defensively. Probably more information than many of you wanted, uh, and I, I, it was so frustrating. And somewhere in the middle of the game, I looked at the people I was with and I said, "And I have to preach on joy tomorrow." <laughs> like, <laughs> you know? And and, and the, uh, the reality is that we we are kind of hardwired to allow our experiences to affect our joy. We, we are people that that believe, I think wrong wrongly believe, that if we will get everything that we want, then that's when we'll experience the joy that we desire. Now that's wrong on two levels. And, and the, the first reason that that is wrong is because, and we'll talk about this near the end of this series, but the first reason that's wrong is because When we get what we want, often, if it's not the right thing that we're shooting for, we find that it doesn't bring us the joy that we want in the first place. People spend their whole entire lives discontent, and we're going to talk about how that's a barrier to joy. But on the other side of that, most of the time in life, we don't get what we want, like I wrote it this way, I know this is kind of wordy, um, but I liked how it came out on paper anyway, we'll see what happens when I say it, Uh, life is a series of not getting what we want, or getting what we want, and not being satisfied with what we got, did you catch that, let me read it again, you're like what, Uh, life is a series of not getting what we want, or getting what we want, and not being satisfied with what we got, and we'll talk about that second thing later, the, the dissatisfaction with the things that we thought would bring us joy. But this morning, I want to talk about how, how we can have joy when life isn't what we wanted it to be. Because the reality is, I know that for every single one of you, probably on a weekly basis, you, you, you have things go Wrong. They don't go the way that you want them to go. I mean, maybe you feel like your whole life has been that way, and then you, maybe you've come into this series, and maybe you've come back to church uh, because you're like, I hope he says something that will actually allow me to experience joy because I know that, that trying to get the things that I, I think will bring me joy haven't brought me joy because I never get them, right? And I was thinking about how we have this idea, and I think you're going to know I'm right. We have this idea that people that seemingly have everything, then, then they have joy. And I was thinking about some like just famous people and, and in our heads I think it would be so easy to have joy if I was, if I was them, right? And, and I thought about LeBron James because it's playoff season and, and I thought, does, like if LeBron James' joy is based on him accomplishing the things he wants to accomplish, then does LeBron James have joy? And the answer is No. The guy has lost, I love saying this in a sermon, he's lost more championships than he's won. I mean, in most years, LeBron James ends with as many championships as I do. I, just he loses. And if his joy, and I don't know him, maybe he's this way, maybe he's not, but if his joy, his happiness, is wrapped up in him succeeding and doing the thing that he sets out year in and year out to do, then he doesn't have any joy. I was thinking about the Kardashians because I, probably not you, but I know like a lot of you know young women probably think like if I just looked like them or had their money or hung out with the people they hung out with, then, then man, I would have so much joy. Like it'd be so easy. And then and then just this week, this is maybe why this one was in my head um, because the Kardashians are not usually. Uh, but but just this week, I saw that uh, one of one of the Kardashians' husbands is was in a picture with an Instagram model cheating on her right there for the public to see, for all of this lady's millions of followers. And it seems like this is like a constant thing for them. They're in a relationship and then somebody cheats on them and then they're out of a relationship. And I'll tell you, if the Kardashians' joy is based on, on their life going the way that they, they want it to go, then they're just like us. They're just not going to have joy. They're just going to struggle to find any level of joy. And then I thought, of, I thought of Taylor Swift first, but then I moved on because I, I was thinking about Carrie Underwood, who's a very pretty lady, and I don't know if you know this about her. Uh, Carrie Underwood recently like, fell down the stairs, and she has not shown her picture since then. There's been no picture of her face that's gone online since then because she has so much scarring on this side of her face. And I think, like, there's, there's a group of people that are like, if I just, you know, looked like one of those celebrities or those pretty people. And it so quickly goes away. And we, I just think we know, even though we, we try to tell ourselves, like, if I just do this, it'll be okay. But we know that, that often whatever we think it is that's going to give us joy just doesn't happen. That's just... That's just life. That's the reality of life. We are never going to have everything we want, and most of the time, we're not even going to have most of what we want. That's how life goes. And if your joy is based on this this ideal, like if I get there, if I do that, if I accomplish this, if I can get that goal, if I can jump over that hurdle, like Then, then I'll experience joy. It's just never going to happen. And we must be a people that figure out how to have joy despite us not getting the things that we want. I said last week, and this is so important to cover again, that, that joy in the Old Testament, the first half of the Bible, was this thing that usually was described in terms of how people lived it out. So joy was connected to dancing or singing or shouting or, or celebrating or partying or eating a lot of food. That's kind of how the Old Testament talks about joy. And it's always in response to the blessings of God. Hey, we had a great harvest. Or hey, we beat that other team in... in or that other army, that other team, you can see where I, I'm locked in here, man. I'm totally locked in. Uh, is it Tuesday yet? Uh, and they beat that other army, and, and so then they, they, they celebrated that, or God blessed them, and they had lots of money, and so then they celebrated, and joy was connected to that, but when you get to the New Testament, all of a sudden, the, the word joy takes on a whole new meaning, and it's no longer based on circumstances because not because it's, dis- it's disconnected from a blessing, but because the death and resurrection of Jesus gave the early Christians and us who are Christians so much, it offered them salvation and hope and peace and love and a, and a future in heaven and forgiveness for their sins. It offered them so much that it didn't matter what they went through in their lives, they still would use this word joy. And so it wasn't that joy became this thing that wasn't connected to what God had done. It's just that God did something so big and so miraculous and so important in the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus that the people said, wow, no matter what I go through, no matter what I deal with, I can still have joy. But even for Christians, sometimes this isn't our experience, right? I mean, we all want joy. We, I said that last week. I think this is not a, like a sermon where I have to talk you into it. Like when I've preached on gluttony, it's like you, you really got to be sold, right? Like I, you better quit. Like you're like, I like that, but everybody wants joy. That's just something we want. And we who are Christians should be joyful because we have such an incredible gift and a gift that transcends our circumstances and what we deal with on a a day-to-day basis. But we don't always have it and we who are Christians become just like you who aren't. And we get caught up in allowing our joy to be driven by, by what we are are seeing right in front of us by what is good and what is bad and all of that. And, and here's here's why. Here's why that happens. Here's why you've met some really joyless Christians. It's because our priorities are all out of whack. And, and the thing that we'll see in this passage in the Apostle Paul's life and and the things that we saw in the early church and when you read the book of acts in its entirety and we're going to study the book of acts in the next sermon series the things that you see in the early church are not different in us than us than and that they didn't have problems or that you know everybody in their church was always nice or everything was perfect but one of the big and and most clear differences that you see is that their priority was vastly different than our priorities today, and we're going to see that so clearly written for us in, in, in Paul's life, and as I said last week, let's get you caught up to speed if you were not here again, we're looking at the book of Philippians, where Paul talks a lot about joy, but we're not just looking and, and seeing what Paul's like, hey, you do this, this, and this to get joy, instead it's like, Paul going, this is why I have joy, and we're trying to learn, like, well, if that's why Paul had joy, then, then maybe we can we can have it too if we'll, if we'll follow suit. And, and so here's, here's the deal. I, I said last week again that, that like we would talk about Paul's circumstances in which he's writing this book of Philippians, and, and now's that time because the background for what Paul says in this is very, very important. We don't know for sure where Paul is writing the book of Philippians from, but the best guess, and a really good guess, and I think all of the evidence or most of the evidence points to this, is that he's writing the book while he is in the city of Rome and he's under house arrest. So Paul had been preaching the gospel and and he had been arrested by the Jewish people and they turned him over to the Roman people. And Paul had been in jail in different cities for quite a long period of time and he finally arrived in Rome and he's under house arrest. He is specifically in this passage that we'll read. He's, He's under the care of the palace guard, which was the elite bodyguard team this makes him sound so awesome the elite bodyguard team of the emperor and and it's actually abnormal for them to be like guarding a prisoner but that seems to be what's happening Paul's he's in somebody's home he's sitting at home and he has a guard with him one of the elite bodyguards of the emperor at all times Now what's so fascinating about that in between, like Paul is arrested in Acts 21, this is where you can read all of this if you go to the book of Acts, Acts 21 he's arrested and then all the way up to Acts 28 which is about the time when Paul writes this, his story is is incredible. Even if you don't consider yourself like a Bible person, you're not that interested in what the Bible has to say for your life for the morality of it or God, you don't care about all that stuff, I highly recommend reading Acts 21 through 28 because it is quite the story. I didn't realize until studying for this sermon that so much of what I think about this guy named Paul's life all happens while he's arrested and and he's living in jail or he's living under house arrest or whatever like most of his life as we know it that's recorded for us takes place in these incredible seven chapters I mean in the in the seven chapters of scripture he like He's flogged and he endures all these trials and he's, he's snake bit and like literally snake bitten and he's bitten by a snake and God heals him and he's shipwrecked and, and people are mocking him and he's, he stands before some of the highest government rulers in all of Rome. I mean, it's this incredible uh, just period of time in his life and it ends with him sitting in this house in Rome, not free to leave, under the palace guard. And in the midst of all of it, I'm sure while Paul is discouraged, God speaks to Paul in Acts 23:11. He says, take courage as you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. In Acts 28, 16, this is probably like right when Paul is writing this. Paul, It said about Paul in Acts. When we got to Rome, Paul was allowed to live by himself with a soldier to guard him. So Paul's cooped up, has a guard with him all hours of the day. I actually read that the guard, because they took their their uh, prisoner management very seriously in Rome, that, that the guard might actually have been tied to him while he was on duty. The guard would just be like chained to Paul. and And so Paul's... In this situation, and there's this church, and we saw this last week, in Philippi that has partnered with him in the gospel for years. They have been his friends, his companions, they've helped him serve God, they've been there with him through thick and thin as he's been arrested and he's been free, and, and they have worked together for a long time. They love each other deeply, this church and, and him. And he knows that they're concerned about him when he pins this letter called Philippians. And so it makes sense, as he writes this, that that he's gone through his opening, an opening we looked at last week, and then in verses 12 through 14, he seeks to reassure them, you're concerned about me, but let me put your concerns to rest. And this is what Paul says, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. He says, hey guys, I want you to know... I want you to know I know you're worried about me. I know you're stressed. I know you're wondering how things are going for me. I know that you know that, that the, the passion of my life is to go around the known world as a missionary and tell people about Jesus and now I'm stuck under house arrest and, and you are wondering if I'm doing okay. The first thing I want you to know is that everything is okay because God is using this situation to expand the gospel. Now I've already alluded to the gospel, but it's really important that we understand what the gospel is. The gospel is the story of Jesus, that Jesus looked down from heaven where he sat in eternal perfection, saw that people were sinners, saw that we had been disobedient to God. You know that we all do that. We're all jerks and we all lie and we're all sinners, right? And and, and he looked down from heaven, saw our situation, knew that we as people, people could never enter into a good and right relationship with God. And so Jesus came from heaven to Earth. He was born of a virgin. He lived a perfectly sinless life. And at the end of that life, he was tortured and crucified, murdered on a cross. And then on the third day, he rose again. And we know that he did all of that so that our sin could be forgiven and so that we could enter into a right relationship with God. Now, what's really cool is that Paul had actually encountered Jesus after he got out of the grave. And after Paul encountered Jesus, he only had one passion, and that passion was to tell everybody about the story of Jesus who had saved him and had changed his life. And Paul is sitting there under house arrest, and you think, like, well, he can't do it anymore. But instead, he he says, look, I want you to know that it's become so clear to everyone around me that the reason I'm here... Is because of my relationship with Jesus. Listen to Acts 28:23, and 24. This is Paul. He's come into the city of Rome. He's under house arrest, but the Jewish people, the Jewish Christians, are allowed to come and, and speak to him. And, and this is what we read: they, the Jewish Christians in Rome, arranged to meet Paul on a certain day and came in even larger numbers to the place where he was staying. He witnessed to them from morning till evening explaining about the kingdom of God and from the law of Moses and the prophets he tried to persuade them about Jesus. Some were convinced by what he said but others would not believe. So there's these Jewish Christians. They bring some other Jews. They hear this story about what what is happening in, in Paul's life and about Jesus and some of them become Christians in Acts 28, 30 through 31. This is right about the time Paul writes Philippians. It says for two whole years Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. Listen, he proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Now consider, consider the situation. Paul is sitting in this house. He's free though in some ways. He can't go out, but he's free while he's there. People can come visit him. He can share the gospel with people. And all day long, he's got one of these soldiers right next to him or maybe even chained to him all day long. And these guys, by the way, were on four-hour shifts. So for four hours, these guys get to sit next to the greatest proclaimer of Christianity that has ever lived, bar none, And what is happening, this is so cool, is this elite bodyguard team is starting to recognize as they sit by Paul day after day after day that this guy is not in prison because he has done something disobedient to the law. He's not in prison because he tried to start an insurrection or tried to tear at the government or anything like that. He's only in prison because he loves Jesus and wants other people to love Jesus too. And so throughout this whole palace guard, which was a fairly large team, this elite team, they start to recognize that Paul is only in prison because he loves Jesus. And you have to believe, it doesn't say this, but you have to believe that many of those guys are committing their lives to Jesus themselves. Because, I mean, come on, like if you see a guy who's willing to live his final days imprisoned because of what he believes, that's, that's going to be an impactful testimony, Right? And so the palace guard understands it, but it doesn't say that. It also says that everybody around him, and so not only is Paul reaching these prison guards, but he is reaching the high-level elite leaders, the aristocrats of Roman society. Everybody who's in the know about the situation which Paul is in is starting to understand that he's only there because he loves Jesus. What's happening here is that the very thing that Paul had set his mind to, advancing the gospel, is happening because, not despite, because he is sitting in jail or under house arrest with these prison guards. So Paul says, don't worry about me. What I want to happen is actually happening. What I want to accomplish is being accomplished. And not only that, and this is so cool, not only that, but he says, That the Christians, the already Christians, they are learning to proclaim the gospel more and more without fear because they are seeing his example. Isn't that kind of true? It's kind of a weird part of life. Like when we see somebody sacrifice for something, you would think logically, well, that looked like it sucked. I don't want to do it too, you know what I mean? Like, well, that guy got arrested for it. I should probably avoid it. But that's not—that's not really how humanity works, is it? When when we see somebody sacrifice for something they believe in, it compels us, if we believe in the same thing, to to do the same in some ways. Like, I, I don't know why I kept thinking about this, but. The movie Rudy was really important to me. You know, the Notre Dame football player who just gets beat up over and over and over again. And, and every now and then when I was feeling discouraged about sports or whatever, I, I would pop that in when I was growing up and during my sports life. And, and then I'd come out saying, wow, that was terrible for him. I'm going to do it too. You know, like I'm ready to bleed today. Yeah, that that That's happened to me. And then on a, on a, on a more important level, there's this guy named... Jim Elliott, he's a semi-famous missionary who was killed at the hands of the people he was trying to reach. I mean, they worked years and years and years, him and his friends, to come up with a plan to go into this native group in, in, in Ecuador and teach them about Jesus. And they went, and they were killed. They were speared to death. And then, Jim Elliott's widow and a bunch of other people went right back in. And almost everyone in that tribe became Christians. It inspired them to follow suit. And you think like, oh, that's bad. I'm not going to do it too. But for whatever reason as humans, when we believe the same things as another person and we watch them suffer for it, it inspires us to do it too. And Paul says, look, I'm in jail here. But all these Christians that are around me that see what I'm suffering for Jesus, they've been inspired to do the thing that I want to do, to advance the gospel. So Paul, Paul looks, is writing to his friends, and he's like, hey, I, just, I need you to understand, you're probably worried about me, you're probably stressed out about my situation, but understand this, you don't need to be, because the only thing that I care about in my life is being done because of my situation here. And then, he, and then it's like this kind of switch, it's, It's kind of a weird transition if you don't know what's coming. In verses 15 through 17, it says, It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. So this weird thing is happening. Paul's arrest his imprisonment has spurred other people on to preach the gospel and some are doing that out of goodwill and love for paul they're like look his mission is to tell everybody about jesus he's locked up he can't do it i'm gonna do it too they're emboldened they want to help paul's situation and so they're out there telling everybody about jesus or at least telling more people about jesus and what he's done for them that's cool right that's exciting But there's this other group of people, and this is weird, this is super foreign to us, I don't think we can really understand this, but but there's this other group of people who are now preaching the gospel more frequently because they think it's going to stir up more trouble for Paul while he's in jail. Now this probably doesn't mean that it's going to get Paul in trouble, this is probably, probably, probably. That they see it as an opportunity to gain the notoriety and respect and maybe even fame that Paul had while he lived for preaching the gospel and I think and, and I could be wrong this is this is just an idea it's not my i'm not, it's not original to me but but this may be a group of people that Paul wrote to when he wrote this book called Romans there's another letter in the Bible that Paul wrote called romans and and Romans is this. Uh, One of the great theological treaties that has ever been written. I mean, this is, some people think Paul's just best work. He writes this beautiful description of Christianity and teaches so much theology. Everything you need to know about God, I would say, is kind of in the book of Romans. It's really an incredible book. I, in a college class, um, had to read it every week during the semester. So I read it uh, like 16, 17 times once each week. And up until about the last two or three, you just find new, deeper things every single time. The last two or three weeks, it was like I don't know what else I'm getting out of this, but I mean, come on, like 15 weeks, if I wrote a little letter, you would not want to read it 15 times, but that's what the book is, but the part that's forgotten is in large part why Paul wrote the book is because he was thinking about Jewish and Gentile, non-Jewish Christians in Rome, and they weren't getting along very well. Jewish Christians wanted Gentile Christians to become more like them, and Gentile Christians, non-Jewish Christians, were looking at the Jews and saying like, hey, we're kind of the ones that are taking over this Christianity thing now, and really just disrespecting the role that Jewish people have had in the history of our faith, a faith that goes back thousands and thousands of years, a faith that didn't begin with Jesus, it just continued with Jesus, and so Paul in, in the book of Romans is like, hey, you need to understand that the Gentiles have been grafted in, Gentiles, you need to respect that the Jews are the ones who brought you the messiah in the first place they gave you the law that you could see the messiah through and and jews you need to not try to make the gentiles more like you but it seems that there was a faction of people who didn't like it jewish people who said no 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 paul we're never going to accept that paul didn't have a lot of personal interaction with the jews and christians these aren't uh, christian jews in Rome, uh, these are not like the church in Philippi, these are not his people, they're not friends, he's just written a letter to them, and he has a desire to minister to them, and it seems what's happened, is that the people who didn't like that, they're Christians, they're real Christians, they love Jesus like Paul, but they don't like Paul very much, and after he's imprisoned, they look and they go, this is an opportunity for us to preach the gospel our way and to gain a bigger following for, for our side of things. Now that sounds terrible, right? You're like, that can never happen. And then after I thought that, I thought, think about the church in America today. <laughs> like, I mean, come on. Like, if a pastor, our town's really good about this. There's lots of unity. I see pastors at Starbucks every week. We hang out. Me and a buddy of mine at Starbucks run sermon ideas off each other almost weekly at this point. So I'm not talking about our city, but but you can imagine in many cities around our country, right? Like if a pastor fell to sin that the next week that other church down the road would be advertising just a little harder in order to steal the people away from the other church, right? You could see, like, well, they're not Baptist, you know, they're free Methodist, and so, we're, like, here's an opportunity for us to steal their people. You, you can picture that, right? I mean, I could even picture it, and this is more similar to this situation— I could picture like a pastor in town gets cancer and another pastor's like, this is our opportunity. We can seize this and we can give our flavor of Christianity, expand our church and grow and, you know, get that building built and all those things. That's not unrealistic to us, is it? That seems like something that's probably happening this morning somewhere in our country. And that's this situation. Paul's in jail for preaching the gospel and the people who don't like his flavor of Christianity, even though they are also Christians, this is not another group that Paul writes about in a book called Galatians who really aren't Christians. There's something else. Paul, Paul refers to them as dogs and mutilators of the flesh. He doesn't like them at all. This is a group of Christians who just don't like the nuances of Paul's Christianity. And they see it as an opportunity to seize the day and take converts for themselves. That would make me so mad. <laughs> I mean, if anything could take away my joy, it's first of all, being in jail, not being free, having been shipwrecked and snake bitten and, and whipped and uh, standing trial over and over and over again just for doing, just for loving Jesus and serving Jesus and talking about Jesus. And then while you're sitting in jail, the people who are on your team, the people who are on your side are now out and about preaching the gospel so that it can push you down further. And here's, here's, here's what Paul says. Now, this is, this is where we find out about joy. I know you're waiting for like, okay, how do I get joy? I don't, you know, like, a little too much background information, buddy. Get to the point. Like, how do I get joy? Now, here it is. Ready? Here's what Paul says in verse 18. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. The primary goal, aim, passion, really the only goal, aim, passion of Paul's life. The top And only priority of his life is to expand the gospel's reach. All he wants with the life, the breath that he has is to advance the gospel. We know this because of everything that he writes, everything we read about him. In Acts twenty twenty four, this is not something he wrote. This is telling his story. He's about to leave his friends, march into Jerusalem where they don't like him very much because of all the things I've already said about how he said, hey, non-Jewish Christians don't need to look like Jewish Christians. They don't like him. He's about to go into Jerusalem to share the gospel, to advance the gospel, and he has this teary goodbye with some of his friends. He says, however, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. It's pretty incredible, isn't it? Gordon D. Fee, a phenomenal writer about the Bible, he wrote a big commentary on the book uh, of Philippians, and, and I love what he said. He said, those who rather thoroughly dislike Paul for this passion, evangelism, telling others about Jesus, calling others to accept Jesus, understand him far be- better than others, especially among scholars who profess love for the apostle, but are embarrassed by his fashioning his whole life around this singular concern to know Christ and to make him Do you see what Gordon Fee is saying there? He's saying that there are a lot of people who don't like Paul because all he wanted to do was to convert people to Christianity. They're embarrassed by him about it. And other people who love Paul are like, eh, you know, no big deal. But the ones who don't like Paul are like, man, all this guy was trying to do was, and this is how you'd say it in our modern vernacular, shove his religion down our throat, right? Because we, we don't like that idea. We don't want to be seen that way as Christians. Uh, Non-Christians don't like us because we're like that, even though, you know, your pastor says you should be more like that, trying to convert people, you know. And and that's our, and Paul was that way, there's a reason that all the palace guards are starting to know about Jesus. It's because they had to sit with him for four hours a day. Paul had this singular goal. The advancement of the gospel, which primarily means more and more people accepting the gospel as true and giving their lives to Jesus. But surely it also means that the gospel and its message would take more and more hold of the lives of the people who have already embraced it. The, the gospel would permeate everything that we who are Christians do. That it would become the center and source of our life more and more. Paul describes our relationship, those of us who are Christians in, in other places, is in Christ. And he wanted people more and more to move into Christ. To be filled with the Holy Spirit. For Paul, the advancement of the gospel is more and more people accepting it as true and giving their lives to Jesus, but also those who have already given their lives to Jesus living more and more in light of the gospel. It's Paul's only aim. And in the midst of one of his darkest days, he's able to say, I rejoice. Because he sees that the circumstances cannot prevent this, his singular goal, from happening more and more. Now, I know know you're not going to like it. You want something. Last week, I gave you some self-help information, and this is not that. If you want to be able to experience joy in all circumstances, then the aim and goal of your life must be the advancement of the gospel. Because no circumstance, no situation, nothing can prevent that from happening in you and in those around you. There's nothing. Now, you may not choose to respond to your circumstances in a way that advances the gospel. But if you do choose to respond to those circumstances in the right way, then the gospel can always advance. And I would say it often advances more because of our trials. Think about it, like I'm just, let's, let's think about LeBron James again. Like if LeBron James' goal is to advance the gospel, winning or losing a championship plays no role, it has no factor, it's not a factor in that happening, and in fact, I would say that when he loses, he has a greater opportunity to share the love of Jesus with people. If, if Kim Kardashian's I don't know that this is true. If the only aim of her life is the advancement of the gospel, I'm going to guess not, but uh, you know, I haven't talked to her. Uh, but if the only aim of her life is the advancement of the gospel, every single bad, difficult thing, every time the media mocks her or, or, or something happens with a boyfriend or a husband, when her husband has a mental breakdown, that happened not that long ago, it's an opportunity to advance the gospel. For every great-looking person in the world, when, when something happens to their face, it's an opportunity to say, look, my, my hope and my goal and my aim had nothing to do with how I look. It has everything to do with making Jesus look great. It provides an opportunity. And I'll tell you, we look at our lives and we look at the chains in our lives, the bad things, the, the moments that don't go as planned, the things that we were unable to accomplish, the things that we didn't get, that we wanted to get, the, the hopes and dreams that came up a little short, we see them as as chains. Paul says, all chains are, are a thing that can produce joy because it advances my goal in the first place see this is what this is what can happen if your only aim is to advance the gospel then the very things that that we see as chains can become the things that bring you joy and i know that's not as fun as like pray with thankfulness or thank god for the people in your lives the point that i made last week because this is harder and, and i know that you all want joy but you all don't want to have to do that Y'all don't want to have to make the advancement of the gospel like the driving force of everything. But the reality is that you will not be able to rejoice in every situation if you don't have an aim that can't be stopped by the chains. If you aim to advance the gospel, you can be ever joyful, ever joyful. Because every situation just becomes an opportunity for you to do the thing that you wanted to do anyway. When you see this up close and personal, it's, it's so incredible. Like I, I, I've talked a lot about my great-grandma and uh, my great-grandma was just, she was a joyful person. She would, she was generous and she was kind and she was loving and loving uh, She just, she just oozed enthusiasm. I mean, and, and she lost her husband when she was in her mid-50s, and she was diagnosed with cancer when she was in her 70s, and when I was living with my grandmother for a period, and I've told you this, she was having a heart attack almost every single night. She was on hospice, and we would, we would give her the, the little pill in her mouth, and it would do the job. Uh, and, and we, I mean, I, I was, I'm not making this up, I was literally praying a goodbye prayer every single night. We were sad, and there she was, Totally joyful. Not like having a good time, but joyful. When she went through that cancer, she saw it as an opportunity to tell people at the hospital about Jesus. That's real. I'm not making this up. And I'm telling you, I'm telling you, your chains will prevent joy if your goal is anything other than the advancement of the gospel. Sharing the gospel with people that don't know it hoping that they accept it and allowing the gospel to uh, to move forward in you as you learn to live more fully for Jesus in light of what he did and, and helping the other Christians in your life move forward in their spiritual progress as they learn to live more fully in the light of Jesus. No chain can prevent that and so no matter what we go through we can rejoice if we make the advancement of the gospel our aim, our hope, our goal, our goal All of those things. And so it's my hope you'll make that decision. I mean, it is. You'll only go through life like this. No matter how good or bad you think your life is compared to everybody else, you're just going to be on a roller coaster if it's not about the advancement of the gospel. And 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 so this morning, maybe some of you need to accept the gospel as true and give your life to Jesus. I'm telling you, there's no joy apart from it. You can have some fleeting moments of happiness, but you will never have joy that transcends circumstances. Maybe you need to do that. Maybe others of you, you know that it's like I'm talking to you. I promise, I'm not thinking about you, but you know I'm talking about you because because you go up and down and all around with your joy, and it's just based on what you're actually being able to accomplish. And this morning, you need to look at Jesus and you say, Jesus. I I love you and I serve you and I know what an incredible gift it is that you died and rose again and offered me salvation and Jesus I'm sorry that I have not made my life about the advancement of that story but today I'm going to start and not if not for your glory Jesus I want to start because I don't want my chains to prevent my joy anymore. That's what I want for you today. One of those two things, and I'm going to pray that that will happen. Lord Jesus, I thank you that that we believe a story so incredible. That no matter what we face, being shipwrecked, snake bitten, beaten, mocked, arrested, tortured, no matter what we face, we can still have joy. I thank you that we believe a story that is so incredible that, that we ought to, if we're even thinking about it a little bit, we ought to know that we should build everything we do around it because it is such a life changing story. It changes everything, it changed everything in me, Jesus. And I pray that this morning, God, those those who haven't accepted your gospel as true, haven't given their lives to you, Jesus, that they would make a decision to do that. I pray, God, for the people who will listen to the sermon online later. Uh, God, just sitting in front of their computers, I pray that they would do that. Then I pray for all of us that are Christians, Lord, that you would advance the gospel in us. And you would help us, God, to center our entire lives around it. I want the people who go to my church, those that are visiting this morning, I want them to have joy. And I want them to have it always. And God, I believe, I believe that that's impossible unless they have the same goal as Paul. Paul. To expand your gospel. And I pray that, that God they'd make that this morning. They'd make that more the aim of their lives. I, I know that that's a process God. And, uh, but I, I pray that they'd make it more. The goal. The singular goal. Of, of everything that they do. And everything that they are God. Lord I know this is a hard teaching. Compared to just be more thankful. And thank God for people in your lives. Your life. But God, sometimes the hardest teachings are the most important and the best. And so I pray that you'd use my words. You'd help people not leave this moment without making a commitment to you. And I ask these things in your holy name. Amen.